also had some luxury to、uh, spend my holiday in mainland Macau and Hong Kong. I can see all three places tourists are start traveling and going to restaurants and enjoy themselves. I think this is a good sign. Places in the Middle East, like Iran, for example, has a fabulous cultural history and you know wonderful、uh, monuments and、uh, you know whole cities that are kind of you can wander around in that were built 2,000 years ago. Central Asia, you know, going out through Xinjiang into Central Asia, that's going to be another hotspot destination for Chinese tourists. Those more friendly, they've got a real cultural heritage, they're well known for their hospitality in real terms. I think that can be. Built upon, and they were going to benefit. Remember that Chinese tourists were spending so much money in places like Australia and the United States and other, and now they're not so sure about that anymore. Well, they've got other places to go and spend their money where they actually need the money more. Whether it's going to be a trendsetter, that depends on several factors. Number one, do people see a regular income over their house? Number two, is that a, are there any Attractive points that can really be fascinating for them to travel along, and third would be whether they have the time schedule. The chat lounge. Chat lounge. Chat lounge. The chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the chat lounge. I'm Tuyun. Joining our discussion on whether China's domestic consumption momentum can continue throughout the year are Dr. Liu Baocheng, director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International Business and Economics; Dr. Digby James Ren, senior special advisor and director of the Mekong Research Center at the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia. And Dr. Hai Yansong, Mr. and Mrs. Chan Chak Fu, Professor in International Tourism, Associate Dean and Chair Professor, School of Hotel and Tourism Management, Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. So China has experienced a consumption boom over the five-day May Day holiday. Which ended on Wednesday, and according to the latest statistics from the Ministry of Culture and Tourism, Chinese made more than 270 million domestic trips during the period. That's a rise of over 70 percent from a year earlier, and 19 percent more than during the pre-pandemic year of 2019, and obviously above expectation before the holiday season. And Chinese tourists spent nearly 150 billion yuan, or more than 20 billion U.S. dollars, nearly 1.3 times the figure recorded a year earlier, and on a par with 2019 levels. So, Dr. Liu, let me start with you. Did you travel anywhere or have some recreational activities during the May Day holiday? I think of four of us. We are Dr. Liu and me. Are the two that can have this、uh, luxury, if you will,、uh, to spend like some、uh, five days all together as a holiday or out of office,、holiday、right? Inequality. That's what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I I made a very short trip to the suburban area of Beijing, in which we have a、uh, small garden and、uh, helping to do some of the gardening work, and in the meantime. Uh, continue to read and write over a、uh, important projects. 
uh, to evaluate the performance of the uh, Chinese uh, 14th uh, five-year plan. And on the road, I, I could see the swelling traffic that's over there, you know, by the figure that you have reported to the audience. Mm. Uh, every uh, six of Chinese, they are on the road for sightseeing. So uh, it's very crowded and it's very jammed. Uh, I'm happy to see that because uh, it is really some sort of uh, uh, relaxation without any worry anymore for the virus attacks, etc. So people have been uh, locked down uh, for good reasons. Oh, for the last three years now, it is time for them to stretch their uh, not only uh, legs and arms, but also their uh, sights. So it is uh, uh, something that is worth uh, celebrating. And the other one is that we can see that more of the families are really traveling uh, all the more together. So uh, that's also a very warm sight. We can really see that uh, there is more family responsibilities in the holiday arrangement. Mm. So, uh, of course, it contributes largely to the Chinese economy and more importantly to the confidence uh, within the Chinese consumers that Finally, they are back on a normal track, and after the uh, big holiday, uh, hopefully they gather more of the energies and more of the vitalities to engage in more productive work. Mm, good for you, and I, I had to work as usual. And uh, Dr. Song, and you're in Hong Kong. Um, have you seen any surge in the number of tourists from the mainland? Uh, yes, actually, uh, during the uh, Golden Week, uh, Hong Kong received around 600,000 tourists from uh, mainland. Although it is uh, uh, quite a large number, but still uh, compared with 2018, it was only half of the 2018 during the same period. But we we see a lot of tourists are coming in, actually, Mm -hmm. and you can see the border uh, crowded, and uh, you have to wait for quite a long time to be able to cross the border. Actually, myself, spend a few days in Zhuhai during mm. the holiday, and then I uh, went to uh, Macau for a couple of days. So I also had some luxury to uh, uh, spend my holiday in mainland Macau and Hong Kong. I can see all three places tourists are start uh, traveling and going to restaurants and enjoy themselves. I think this is a good sign. Right. What about uh, Dr. Ren? You're in uh, Phnom Penh in uh, Cambodia. Uh, yes. What's your observation well, there? Um, well, they haven't released any statistics on because we just had the Khmer New Year, which is so the new year that in Laos, uh, in Thailand and in Cambodia is exactly at the same time. Um, and then that's followed by the May Day break, which is well, we're on a five day break right now. Mm. So they haven't released the statistics yet. But I can tell you that there was a a vast number of people at Angkor Wat, which is the country's biggest tourist destination. Uh, and there's definitely been more Chinese tourists outbound coming to Cambodia. Uh, some, something, uh, best estimate, is, is about 300,000. But um, some of those are already here. Um, so I don't know how they calculate that exactly. But I just spoke to a taxi driver yesterday, and he said he's decided to put his children into Chinese language school because he thinks there's going to be so many Chinese, they need to do that for their future. And the, if they're going to work in the tourism and hospitality, they need to learn Chinese. And I said, that's a very good choice. So, yeah, I mean, definitely everything's being skewed here, if you like, or prepared 
for what is expected to be a, a very large surge in outbound tourism from China over the next six months. Yeah, I think so it's definitely, definitely right. started. The taxi drivers got a long-term vision there. And yes. uh, yeah, Dr. Ren, have you seen what's happening uh, on the Chinese mainland during this holiday, especially from TV or, or other reports? Um, oh, yes. I, I, you know, I have many, many friends in, in China, and, uh, and I've spoken to almost all of them, and I asked them, you know, what are you going to do? And uh, 99% of them said that they were going, you know, on a holiday somewhere or if, if they have a holiday house or um, Hainan was a very popular destination. Mm. Um, some of them were going hiking. Uh, a lot of my friends like to ride bikes or go hiking, and they were very keen to do that. Um, but 1%, shall we say 1%, mm. said, I don't want to know about crowds. I'm going to stay at home right. <laughs> and just, just enjoy the local atmosphere because I don't want to have to you know, join the crowds to go somewhere. So that was that's the exception, right? Mm. Um, but I, I, I don't know anybody that was going to Zebo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the but, city I'm going yes, to mention. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably uh, Dr. Liu knows more about uh, this uh, BBQ frenzy in Zibo City, right? So were you surprised by the phrase of the Chinese mainlanders? Yeah, I heard a lot. And uh, some of my students joined the, uh, the crowds. And the, uh, it's not only the barbecue, but also the concert, etc. You know, they really enjoy that. Well... Uh, to some of the older generation, it's a crazy event. Um, but uh, it does really promote the good image of the second and third tier cities in the tourist sports. It also shows that the radius of the uh, travel uh, within China is expanding very fast. And uh, it's uh, following a waterfall effect. Of course, there is a crowd, uh, crowd out effect from mm. those big cities like Beijing. Uh, still, you see the Badaling Great Wall, and uh, it turned out to be a Great Wall of people instead of a Great Wall of bricks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Forbidden City is really forbidding uh, any additional visitors. So, and now it's also a good sign to see that uh, more of the lower tier cities they get uh, more innovative in attracting tourism, and uh, also that they are seriously improving their infrastructure and also uh, tightening their uh, civilians and discipline over those vendors uh, who will do a good job uh, because uh, you know there was uh, previous lessons in Qingdao. You know, the uh, vendors were exploiting the tourists uh, in a holiday season. So now you know, they do uh, deserve a lot of respect in this sort of improvement, and hopefully that can be more sustainable. Mm, maybe the case of Zibo can be included into your textbook someday. But Dr. Liu, would you say that the tourism sector on the Chinese mainland has fully recovered from your observation this time? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, whether it's a trend or whether it's a fad, people have very different opinions. Uh, uh, the way I see it is definitely that uh, people uh, wanted to expand their horizon and uh, getting more of the tour activities with their uh, families is more of a uh, compensation uh, for them after the loss of uh, the last three years. Mm. And also that are the, you know, because of the pent-up consumption and they have uh, more of the pocket, pocket money and more of the family budget to travel. And that's also the request, particularly uh, for families with uh, 
children who can run around. And then whether it's going to be a trendsetter, that depends on uh, several uh, factors. Number one, uh, do people see uh, that uh, a regular income over their house? Number two is that uh, are there any attractive points that can really be fascinating for them to travel along? And third would be whether they have the time schedule that is over there, because I can see that uh, not all the factors are really supporting such uh, sort of trend, and the economy is still on the recovery mode, mm. and more of the employers are driving hard on the employees to work more hours and uh, more diligently. So I think, you know, uh, to take the, uh, the advantage of such a golden holiday and uh, then, you know, quickly come back and gather more energy to work and generate the economy would be the choice for most of the Chinese people. Mm, right. Uh, Dr. Song, what is your observation in uh, Hong Kong? Yeah, Hong Kong, I think, uh, has been uh, benefiting from the influx of international tourists. Of course, uh, including tourists from mainland, I think there's uh, clearly uh, the recovery is on uh, on the right path. However, if we look at um, uh, your question is whether uh, China's mainland tourists has recovered or not. Mm. Uh, you have to remember, actually, the tourists uh, consist of two uh, types of the tourists. One is domestic tourists and also the international outbound uh, uh, tourists. To me, perhaps uh, domestic tourists has recovered uh, considerably, if not to pre-COVID-19 level, but certainly close. But for international travel, I think still, you know, Chinese tourists still have uh, perhaps risk perception, relative high risk perception uh, in terms of traveling abroad. So you, you do not see a sudden increase of international travel. That could be due to, you know, the, the risk perception also because of um, uh, the air capacity constraints. There's not enough flight uh, mm. flying out. And also uh, now uh, traveling is very expensive, especially air tickets is, uh, you know, double or even uh, triple uh, of uh, pre-COVID-19 level. So given the economy is not doing well and uh, tourists are still very conscientious in terms of the cost of international travel. So the recovery of international travel uh, is still, uh, you know, not as expected. Uh, I'm sure it were getting better when the Chinese economy is recovering and more and more tourists were traveling abroad and this risk perception will reduce and you will get, uh, uh, you know, probably a fully recover maybe uh, by the end of the year or early next year. That's my view on this. Mm. Yes, um, I remember earlier in the year when, when we discussed the recovery of China's um, tourism sector um, after the, the reopening of its borders, Dr. Ren and Dr. Song were, were very optimistic about the prospect of the outbound travel made by Chinese tourists to uh, Southeast Asian destinations like Hong Kong, Thailand, and Singapore, or Cambodia, and uh, East Asian destinations like Japan and South Korea. So obviously, um, this time, um, you know, the May Day holiday outbound travel scenario was probably not up to your expectation, uh, Dr. Ren. Well, I, I think there's a couple of observations that I'd like to make. And the first sure. one is just to, um, just to uh, build on what Dr. Leo mentioned about pent-up demand. Mm. And that 
that's you know six months ago we were saying okay there's definitely pent-up demand and that's going to be released and it's going to be released first domestically and i think that's the wave we've just seen we've just seen that pent-up demand being released and in the meantime in that in a sort of that period of what well, not really three years but the expectation period which was really about um eight, six months i suppose or nine months um we've seen uh, preparations domestically in all the second and third tier cities and other major resorts around the country and you know remember that china is so vast there are so many of them mm. and they've all made big efforts to improve their services uh in expectation of of trying to please the tourists and you know, stimulate demand and i think that's worked quite well and zibo is a good example of that but uh, that domestic pent up demand that stimulates the whole tourism sector as, as a general tourism sector the whole thing um and so then people next time will be thinking about okay let's go a little bit further mm. uh and a little bit further for chinese means east asia and southeast asia for example that's very popular destinations and i think that's what we're going to see so coming into the you know the october holiday period i think we'll probably see a surge in outbound and of course any difficulties with visas and things like that will have, have eased by then um not discounting sort of international tensions that give people security problems could remember that um overseas travel the very first priority of all chinese uh is security so that that's sort of one thing that i suppose we need to keep an eye on but the other thing that um i want to say is that in, in the meantime while covid was happening there was you know really quite extensive upgrading of the infrastructure in china and also in in other destinations so for example in cambodia is four airports uh, being built and two of them are going to open in time for the october holiday season so you can see that there's a real expectation and the prime minister here is is sort of given orders uh, to to make sure that those uh, airports are open and uh, my office is very very close to the airport here in nom pen and uh, there is new flights coming in every day now mm. from uh, various destinations in china xiamen um, guangzhou you know so many and i just checked chengdu the other day and it's dropped the airfares dropped down to 200 which you know 6 months ago it was 2000 so you can see that that's all that second wave i think is going the international wave is going to happen in the next big holiday season not this one you're listening to the chat lounge we'll be back after this Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Welcome back. You are listening to the Chat Lounge, and we're talking about whether China's domestic consumption momentum can continue throughout the year. Now, to uh, Dr. Liu,、um, like you said,、uh, you prefer to probably, especially during the holiday season, you prefer to stay where you are and enjoy sort of a, a relaxation, not among some crowds, but.、Um, A lot of other Chinese、um, stole at this initial, probably initial、uh, stage of a, a travel mindset. But after this three-year COVID pandemic, have you noticed any habit change in Chinese tourists? You know, after being held up for three years. 
Yeah, I, I just came off uh, the my marketing class. Actually, we had a discussion in the, uh, with our students. Several observations are uh, very apparent. Number one is that uh, families are making more of their plans and also making their budget. Actually, despite of the frenzy, uh, their spending is uh, more calculative uh, than before. Uh, that's not only within China, but also for overseas travelers. You do not see that uh, uh, a lot of travelers are uh, returning now. Uh, they bring uh, lots of luxuries, etc. It's no longer that case anymore. And uh, the other is that uh, uh, they do not really want to spend too much time uh, in the uh, more of the controlled environment. So that's why Zibo becomes uh, so popular uh, because it's an open space, open air and open uh, seaside. And this is something that they really wanted to see. And uh, third is that uh, uh, there is uh, more of the customization they need uh, to look at. And uh, for overseas travel, I do notice a sort of uh, sentiment. Uh, you can see that uh, the Belt and Road countries are really uh, the, getting more uh, popular, and um, particularly uh, in this year, it is the Middle East countries mm. uh, that are there being um, uh, very attractive to the Chinese tourists. So the uh, you know the uh, uh, previous traditional popular destination like South Korea is no longer that popular given. Uh, now, uh, I think the deteriorating uh, relationship and also the previous event, well, they label the Chinese uh, possible COVID infections, mm. etc. So uh, they're not happy because right now, you know, the information becomes so pervasive and uh, they do far more homework uh, before they begin to embark on their travel. So these are really uh, something that is uh, very important. And also, as we mentioned, that uh, children make uh, a lot more uh, decision shares in the family travels, in, in the choice of uh, hotels, in the choice of destination, in the choice of food. So this is uh, something that we have discussed in our class. Right. Then what does that mean for you know, business operators or those um, hospitality yeah. operators in, yes. in other countries? I think that's a very, very good point we have discussed because in a purchase decision, there are um, multiple stakeholders. There are those users, there are gatekeepers, there are payers. And uh, uh, so the for those uh, uh, receptionist uh, spots, they have to be able to please, uh, you know, all of them. Mm. Uh, because, for example, if the children is there to make the decision where to go, the parents could decide, well, you know, whether we are spending the right money, whether it's uh, worth the deal. And uh, uh, then, you know, the uh, grandparents will say, well, uh, do not go to the seaside. That might be uh, risky. So they may really uh, change their mind. So how businesses can really be persuasive and attractive to all those stakeholders so that uh, the holistic decision can be made towards their conception pattern. And this is something that uh, all the businesses and also the cities who really organize uh, certain events to attract more of the tourists will have to consider. And the other is that uh, the feedback is also very important because now the consumers uh, can really not only share within uh, their friend circle, but also they spread you know, around all the internet, all, all the WeChat uh, communities. Mm. So the word of mouth becomes very decisive in the operational part 
of the tourist industry. So therefore, you know, how they can really make it more sustainable, how they can really please the most of the stakeholders involved. And this is challenging, but this is where they can really differentiate their competitive advantage. Indeed. Uh, so to Dr. Song, have you observed that a similar pattern change? And what does the change mean for business operators? Yeah, this is a very good question. Actually, recently we completed a study, basically is a, system, a systematic review of published studies to look at um, whether uh, uh, tourist has, uh, behavior has changed uh, post-COVID-19, uh, if it's changed and how. Actually, we find through the published uh, studies uh, based on the evidence that uh, the tourist has become more aware of uh, destination safety, uh, you know, health care system, and they try to avoid crowded destinations, and they become more sustainable in terms of destination choice. They will travel to perhaps, uh, you know, uh, eco-tourist destination more than to city destinations. And also they, you know, become more responsible uh, when they travel, Mm -hmm. especially to the local uh, community and uh, economies. And uh, you will see uh, those changes uh, in other parts of, uh, of the world. I'm sure the Chinese tourists probably will behave in a similar way uh, in the future when they travel and they uh, select the destinations and they will be more aware of uh, the sustainability in the destination. And also they probably will be using more internet or, you know, the social media to uh, inform themselves in terms of where to go. Uh, we call it digital transformation. And, uh, you know, these actually are some of the uh, behavioral change that we identified in the other part of the world uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, tourist behavior. I'm sure in China probably uh, this will be the same. Then have you found any uh, new regions uh, like what uh, Dr. Liu just said, Middle East, becoming increasingly uh, attractive to Chinese tourists? Yes, I think um, this actually is a supply issue, right? And also geopolitics. Uh, so Chinese tourists perhaps tend to go to friendly destinations and um try to avoid destinations where they are, can uh, face some sort of a, a risk uh, when they travel to. I think Middle East, uh, because of a uh, recent um, visit of Xi Jinping to uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, this good relationship being built, and they open up uh, to uh, Chinese tourists and then provide a lot of uh, assistance facilities and help in helping Chinese tourists to visit destinations. So you will see uh, uh, more tourists to uh, travel to these destinations. Yeah, I think that there is a certain uh, pattern emerging. So basically, tourists would like to travel to the destinations where they are friendly to you. Mm. And uh, Dr. Ren, um, you emphasized a lot on the security uh, issue mm. as yeah. a major concern for Chinese outbound tourists. And uh, it seems uh, like geopolitics is also another factor. And um, I'm wondering, how about your neighboring country, Laos? Because uh, there is 
this new cross-border passenger service on the China-Laos railway operating, I think, um, a few days or a few weeks prior to this Mayday holiday. Yeah, I'd like to kind of build on the point that Dr. Song just made, and that is that there's new destination. Because of the way the world's sort of, you know, evolving geopolitically and geoeconomically, there are certain destinations. And so, for example, Laos and Cambodia right. are two destinations where you have, you know, a really great depth of sort of cultural difference and uh, really important monuments and, uh, you know, some kind of exoticism uh, that people are very interested in. And I think they're perceived as being friendly to China. And so those countries are definitely prepared for influx of Chinese tourists. Um, in fact, I'd say they're counting on it. And uh, Laos, for example, now, of course, uh, the, the train has been a bit of an economic boon to the country, mm. uh, but it, ju- it was only just recently open to cross-border traffic. So yeah. there you are. That, I, I, you know, whether that was uh, just before the May Day holiday. So uh, I'm not sure what the numbers were, but I'm sure that, you know, there was more. But as you pointed out, you know, from Kunming to Laos, so mm. um, there, there was sort of bad weather and that may have uh, adversely affected that. But look, going forward, I think that's definitely going to be huge because it's really only, uh, I think it's four hours on the train from Kunming. And you go through the ancient capital city, which is just fabulous and got wonderful architecture and very, very interesting, beautiful city. Um, And Cambodia, of course, has Angkor Wat. Um, And then wider afield, I can see that um, places in the Middle East, like Iran, for example, has a fabulous cultural history and, you know, wonderful uh, monuments and, uh, you know, whole cities that are kind of you can wander around in that were built 2000 years ago. Um, And I think that's going to be really interesting for people in Central Asia, you know, going out through Xinjiang into Central Asia, that's going to be another hotspot destination for Chinese tourists, possibly even Afghanistan, I don't know, but definitely uh, through to Central Asia. And I think that those, you know, more friendly, they've got a real cultural heritage, um, they're well known for their hospitality in real terms. I think that can be built upon and, um, and they're going to benefit from the, you know, remember the Chinese tourists were spending so much money in places like Australia and the United States and other, and now they're not so sure about that anymore. Well, they've got other places to go and spend their money where they actually need the money more. Mm. And I think that's probably a really good thing. Yeah. And what you just said explains why the world has been watching so closely and on um, China's May Day holiday. There's been a general growth, you know, worldwide, uh, uh, you know, off a low base of COVID. There's been a general growth in tourism worldwide, but it's off a low base. But I think China is kind of really, um, that really intense domestic travel numbers is a real boon. And just even for inbound, right, inbound mm-hmm. into China, you get that really intense domestic pressure to to improve your services, get to other cities and all those cultural sites and food and so forth. Um, I think that's also going to be successfully marketed to the international market. And as Dr. Leo said, you know, from Belt and Road countries, they're very, very interested. So you're going to get lots of influx from South Americans, Central Americans, South Africans and the Middle East. It's going to grow uh, exponentially as long as we can keep a lid on the on the geopolitical side. Mm. Yes, uh, Dr. Liu uh, just mentioned the significance of this um, made a holiday for the recovering Chinese economy. Mm. Some analysts see this uh, travel boom as a turning point of China's tourism sector. So, Dr. Liu, um, do you share the same view? 
Uh, I should say more exactly it's a revival or recovery mm-hmm. uh, because uh, uh, many the tourist industry was the hardest hit during the last three years of the pandemic control. Indeed. And now the uh, investors were uh, more prepared to uh, to uh, give it a boost. But uh, some of the shops and uh, many of those services, they couldn't really jumpstart in a very short while. And so it is a reshuffling of the tourist service sector. And also that has also to do with the local governments. Actually, uh, some of the governments are really stressed with the debt, so they cannot really offer the right type of uh, infrastructure to attract the tourist. And that can really uh, leave more of the space for uh, regions or localities like Zibo to to boom. Mm. And the other is that uh, since the tourists are getting more savvy and more selective, so uh, how they communicate uh, with the potential customers, uh, that's also something that's, that's very important. Uh, yes, some of the areas, they do have the very rich cultural relics and uh, exotic sports, but uh, if they're not, not there to communicate very well uh, with tourists and also the, if they do not really work very smoothly with those uh, tourist agencies, and they will also suffer uh, quite a deal. So it is really the sense of marketing and uh, the sense of business operation on a sustainable basis that will come out to uh, be uh, sharpening their competitive edge to attract more of the tourists and also to attract more of the consumptions. And uh, uh, also in the communication, even if you have some of the selling points, but uh, if the holistic service is not available, people will not uh, be there to stay longer. And uh, uh, for tourist uh, attractions, you know, to engage a longer period of time with tourists is the most decisive factor to succeed. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Yeah, like uh, Dr. You just mentioned, uh, why all of us, including the business operators and the government officials, were so thrilled by what's happening during the May Day holidays because the tourism sector is a very crucial, maybe a driving force, if you will, to the national economy, which is actually suffering some um, low momentum at this moment, especially in the manufacturing sector. So there are a lot of um, financial institutions like this uh, Fitch ratings. It's saying the decisive factor of China's economic growth Uh, this year is the degree of consumption recovery, which depends on the strength of the stimulus policies and uh, how COVID-19 would evolve. So my question to Dr. Song, uh, how would you evaluate uh, the stimulus policies issued by, you know, the central and local governments so far? How would you uh, measure their impact? Do you think it's, um, you know, strong enough? To further boost the economy, or at least the tourism sector, in the you know in the rest of the year. Uh, yes, this is uh, interesting. Actually, one of my uh, students uh, is uh, looking at this uh, very issue to see how the government stimulus, uh, including coupons, you know, handouts, to encourage uh, the tourism uh, 
travel and also uh, to boost the economy uh, actually depend on uh, what kind of a stimulus that was uh, introduced. For short term, uh, yes, it will uh, encourage more travel, uh, more uh, uh, activities in the tourism sector, mm. but the overall income of tourists actually, um, uh, long-term income is not increasing, right? So it is still just a, a temporary uh, windfall. Uh, tourists may spend, but then uh, after they finish this expenditure, their income returns to the same level and the uh, consumption pattern will be the same. Yes, in the short, short run, uh, this type of stimulus policy will uh, increase tourist expenditure, and then it will filter through to the other sectors. Uh, we know there's the tourist multipliers, right? Mm. So when tourists spend money in different, uh, you know, uh, sectors, and then will further uh, improve uh, the recovery of uh, other sectors within the economy. Um, but I, I think the long-term solution is not uh, through this sort of policy, but uh, the economic growth and uh, employment opportunities. Uh, if the employment opportunities uh, increases, many people will be get uh, employed and also their income will increase. And then actually uh, this uh, from the income increase, mm -hmm. and this actually will contribute to international travel and domestic travel. And that will actually really lead the economic uh, recovery in the economy, in the destination not only tourism. Indeed. Yeah, uh, I, I concur with uh, Dr. Song's uh, observation because right. uh, I always try to dissuade the government to uh, stimulate consumption because uh, I always say that uh, individuals, they make wider decisions as what to buy and what to uh, what not to buy. Mm. So simply by offering some of the uh, coupons or giveaways, that's not really sustainable. So it is really... On one hand, the you know how to ensure the job security and to make sure that people have the confidence to uh, rely on a larger part of the public goods like social welfare and also community amenities, okay. etc. So that's more assuring. And the other is that uh, how we can really boost more uh, of the money in innovation in the uh, public transparency, uh, you know, with regard to tourism. So uh, if you look at many of the local governments, they do not really do a very professional website to introduce the historical legacy of certain historical sites, certain historical figures. Uh, you know, they just put a large statute on it. How you can really raise a sophisticated level of this type of service, particularly on the soft part. So that's something that's important. Now we can see that while uh, you know, somewhere built the biggest Buddha in the world, with uh, tons of gold, and someone big uh, built the biggest Chinese ancestor of, uh, you know, in the Hebei province, you do not really attract a lot of people. Even though uh, you really uh, wanted to play savvy on a certain point, people go there, take a picture, and they go. They do not really uh, consume over there. Mm. So this is something we need really to take attention to it. So, uh, you know, I would rather see that the central government would really set up some sort of uh, coordinated program to really to elevate the sophistication level of the uh, local governments and uh, uh, local vendors uh, as how they can really cater more to the uh, rising need of the people in terms of the, the warmth and hospitality and also in terms of the uh, cultural uh, sophistication. 
instead of simply by uh, giving coupons. Mm, uh, yeah, can, you... I, can I build on what, just sure. what Dr. Leo said? Okay. Um, so this this kind of you know surge in domestic tourism, and and, and you see that in places like uh, Zibor and and other places uh, have done a, you know quite a successful small marketing program, mm. and so that from this sort of intense competition. So because there's, there's you know, as as Dr. Leo just mentioned, there's sort of the, so many of the provinces sort of have a vacuum in relation to communicating properly. Um, and, 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 you know, and then pushing that towards what the, each province has as a kind of, a, you know, a whatever products they have, agricultural manufactured products or cultural products, whatever they are. Mm. Um, but those models, the, the, what happens is you, you, in this intense competition, you end up finding models that really, really work and they'll be adopted in other places. And I suppose one of the big changes, and, and perhaps Dr. Song might mention something about this, is the kind of the niche tourism. So specific activity tourism, whether it's skiing, so off the back of the Olympic Games recently, whether it's hiking, whether it's nature, whether it's, you know, rafting or flying or food is a huge thing, right? Going to different places to taste different things and then getting in touch with agriculture, um, you know, up, up the mountains and, and down to the river sort of thing and down to the country. This is, I think, these models are emerge sort of, um, organically, and the, and to build on what Dr. Leo said, then the provincial governments or and maybe the central government can identify what they are, and and then try and spread those models wider across the country to promote each provinces or each district uh, city's specific qualities that it has. So, for example, you know, hot pot in Chengdu Mala or something, or pandas, but on a more sustainable and concentrated level. Uh, you know, that's a very vast kind of uh, communication program that needs to be done. And what you'll find is that if that happens, not only will it have an effect on domestic tourism, but it will also have a very positive effect on inbound international tourists, because they will then want to go to those hotspots where something really fabulous is happening, like barbecue in, in, in Zimbabwe. Mm. They try to form a virtuous circle. Um, yes. Talking about virtuous circle... Um, what I learned about this uh, Zibo story, it's not because their BBQ skewers are unique or quite different or taste better than those of other cities. In the first place, it's like a thankful trip made by uh, college students because when they got um, quarantined during the pandemic, quarantined in, in the city of Zibo, they were treated very well by the locals and they provided BBQ skewers to the college students like uh, for every meal. And after that, those college students, they're saying they will come back after this pandemic. So they uh, they made their promise um, good by visiting the city. And then they posted on the social media their pictures, which went viral, attracting more and more visitors from around the country. And then the local authorities told the business operators that you can't come up with any price hikes despite increasing demand. And that impressed a lot of people who are saying that I'm going to visit Zibo during the May Day holiday. So there comes a virtuous circle. That makes um, Zibo a top destination during the May Day holiday on the Chinese mainland. So this virtuous circle, I think it's quite important. So Dr. Liu, are you saying this 
tourism boom during the May Day holiday is not enough to trigger a virtuous circle for the national economy as a whole or anything else. You talked about、uh, some sophisticated programs that the central government should、um, organize.、Um, what kind of、um, programs are you talking about? Can you give us a like a Specific example? Yeah, I talked with the、uh, previous、uh, president over the Dunhuang, which is uh, uh, hosting a huge treasure. Previously, it was、uh, they were just、uh, boasting of how rich we are、uh, in the artwork, etc. But、uh, later on, they、uh, recruited a number of、uh, interns from colleges. And they are just responsible to describe one Buddha or one picture on the wall,、mm. and uh, uh, spread very widely、uh, in the internet. And they attract a lot of tourists. So this is to recruit volunteers, give them good training, and ask them to amplify their understanding and attract more of their peers. So that's one、uh, something a success story. And the other is that.、Uh, Some of the local governments even approached us as how they can really,、uh, you know, work out a sophisticated plan, and to make their attractions more sustainable.、Uh, you know, in,、uh, it's not only the historical relics or the food, but it's a holistic approach in terms of the、uh, hardware and、uh, software. And simply, for example, you know, the、uh, how easy it can be really to go to a gas station. And、uh, how easy it, it can be, really, to、uh, to get a public toilet,、uh, which is very crucial but very often ignored. And so, I was saying that if you really wanted to build a hotspot for、uh, for tourism,、mm. uh, one、uh, key notion is to make it、uh, stranger friendly. So、uh, they are easy to find the road, and uh, uh, they are easy to get a satisfaction to their need. So this is something important. And it looks trivial, but、uh, you know, tourists as, as individual consumers, they deal with a lot of trivialities、uh, to satisfy themselves. So in the end, it is really the total and the sustainable satisfaction of、mm. those consumers that are really there to work. So、uh, some of the success are really hit by accident, and this is not really sustainable. So to Thoroughly understand、uh, consumer needs and their changing pattern, and in the end, you can really deliver quantifiable and legitimized satisfaction. That will work. Indeed. And last question to you all, Doctor. You just said some success stories are just accidental、uh, happening. So, how long do you expect this consumption frenzy to continue?、Um, at least within the year, probably. Months or weeks, or at least until you know the National Day Golden Week,、uh, Doctor Liu. Yeah, I would say this is going to be sustainable, but getting more rational instead of uh, you know uh, making such a sort of uh, uh, jubilee or frenzy.、Mm. And yes, the Golden Weeks are coming uh, 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 on the agenda uh, for the uh, National uh, National Day and. Then followed by the well, well, actually, it's more or less synchronized with the Chinese Mooncake Festival, and then followed by the biggest one, that's just the Spring、uh, Festival, etc. So 
the confidence is really injected in the prediction of the Chinese economic growth as an overall picture because uh, uh, the by the most recent release of IMF, uh, China will grow uh, by 5.2%, uh, which is really uh, more than uh, double the world average of growth. So this gave people more of the confidence and also uh, the uh, tourist sports are really quick learners, I believe, that uh, they will uh, build on their success and they will learn uh, some of the lessons and hopefully they can really improve their service on a long-term basis. Mm. And Dr. Ren, what's your view and uh, suggestion for China's tourism sector? Well, I'd like to pick up on a couple of uh, points that... Sure. Um, uh, when you s- talked about how uh, uh, Zibor became so sort of famous, um, you, you mentioned college students, mm. and uh, and then um, Dr. Leo also mentioned that interns and college students were used to promote um, the uh, cultural relics in uh, Duanhan. Mm. Um, so I, I think there's also that's one of the sectors where there's that group, that age group, university students, college students, etc. They also have you know, higher than average unemployment. Um, And one of the phenomena that I've noticed in my lifetime traveling around is that quite often really what become really important tourist destinations are first found by sort of students uh, who may be less or or less employed. They're not really on holidays. They're kind of just traveling around and trying to visit and trying to find themselves and a job and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've promoted certain destinations because it's been fairly inexpensive, fairly undercrowded, not really crowded, and it has really good kind of natural or, or other benefits. Um, and if they can, uh, I think they, they, they signal to, to others to come and enjoy that, but then they also become, you know, service employees or, or they develop um, certain facilities and they can be very, very active in promoting this. And it also at the same time allows them to uh, to make a, a living as, as young people where it's you know sometimes quite difficult. Mm. Um, so I think that's very important. And of course, they're very wired. They're very digital and um, and they know how to promote things amongst each other. And I think that's really sort of an important step. And you must be sort of take notice of what young people are doing in relation to destinations and uh, um, things to do, activities to do, because other people will want to do them as well. Um, and so that's an important step. Um, as a general thing, as a general trend or theme, um, I believe that this this is a surge, um, and there will be a, a surge for outbound as well uh, coming, maybe perhaps during October, uh, the Golden Week uh, national holiday. Um, but I do believe that the, there's going to be greater intensity in terms of domestic tourism, and that's going to continue, maybe not at the same level, mm. but uh, because it was off a low base. So, but there will be growth. Uh, it will keep expanding and improving. Um, and the central government is already doing other things. I think they'll stop this, you know, kind of um, uh, investments in uh, coupons and so forth. That 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 will end. Um, but um, they're definitely going to keep doing that. And perhaps they'll follow our suggestions. Who knows? Um, but then um, outbound. I think that the real tourism surge won't happen until inbound tourists start coming back in big numbers mm. and then you will see a real surge and i think that's going to take a little while longer especially in the current geopolitical environment right right and last but not least uh, dr song uh, are you concerned about the sustainability of china's uh, recovery in the tourism sector and your expectation as well yeah actually i agree uh, all have been said and uh, but i would say uh, 
uh, tourists will become more rational after this uh, initial surge because after three years, uh, people cannot travel mm. and they uh, you know, just started uh, to release uh, pent-up travel uh, significantly. But I think it will become more rational and tourists will become, uh, you know, would uh, choose the destinations most appropriate to their uh, aim or objective in terms of travel. Uh, you know, that's probably... Uh, during the summer, I would say you will see a lot of uh, Chinese tourists will travel uh, internationally because the summer holiday, right? the students, the pupils will be on holiday and the uh, parents or grandparents will take them uh, for international holidays in addition to uh, you know uh, holidays uh, within mainland. And then I agree gradually uh, when China uh, fully opens, still there's some sort of restrictions. I know uh, when you apply, especially international tourists, apply for visas to China, it takes time and also very expensive. But once those uh, restrictions gradually reduce, you will see more and more inbound tourists to China. That actually will stimulate the Chinese uh, tourists traveling uh, internationally. I think uh, it will become will return to normal uh, after a year or so. Mm. And on that note, we come to the end of our chat. Thanks to Dr. Hai Yansong, Mr. and Mrs. Chan Chak-Fu Professor in International Tourism, Associate Dean and Chair Professor, School of Hotel and Tourism Management, Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Dr. Digby James Ren, Senior Special Advisor and Director of the Mekong Research Center at the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia. And Dr. Liu Baochen, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International Business and Economics here in Beijing, for sharing your insights with our listeners. If you have any comments on the topic or the show, please feel free to message us. Just search Chat Lounge. You can find us on all major podcast platforms or send us an email to radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tuyin. Thank you for being with us. See you next time. Dunhuang. Situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why We Love Dunhuang? You will have your answers.